Out of the depths I have called to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. I speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. John Grisham weaves an intriguing story in his 1999 bestseller, The Testament. One character of the story is Troy Phelan. He is an eccentric, self-made billionaire nearing his death. Unfortunately, and to no one's surprise, especially to Troy, most of his children are circling around him for their share of the estate, like vultures in the hunt for their dying prey. Troy's story, if you go a little bit further, reveals some deep regret. In a thick Texas draw, he says, I once owned all the appropriate toys, the yachts and jets, the homes in Europe, farms in Argentina, an island in the Pacific, thoroughbreds, and even a hockey team. But I've grown too old and weary for toys. The money, the money is the root of my misery. I had three families, three ex-wives who bore seven children, six of whom are still alive and doing all they can to torment me. I am estranged from all the wives and all the children. They're gathering here today because I'm dying and let's get real, it's time to divide the money. One pivot of the story occurs when it's revealed that Troy's vast fortune will be left to a medical missionary named Rachel Lane. Rachel is his daughter conceived out of wedlock. There is no relationship between the two. Rachel is a doctor and she has no understanding of money nor any desire for any of it. Her life is entirely focused on her medical mission in the Amazon. Now as he faces death, Troy leaves his entire fortune to Rachel, whose selflessness and commitment stands in contrast to the rest of her siblings who are bent on continuing a life of self-indulgence, desire, and self-centeredness. Yes, Troy, despite all his wealth and with all his snark, dies a death of deep regret. Regret is one aspect of human brokenness. David, in the first lesson, cries out, Oh, my Absalom, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David's life is full of brokenness. Whether it is the rupture of the relationship between him and his predecessor and father-in-law, King Saul, the cruelty of his plan that led to the murder of Uriah the Hittite, falling prey to lust and predatory sexual relationships, the misuse and abuse of power, 
inaction at the rape of his daughter at the hand of his son, the prince. Or now the fact that he is seen running as an exile in a successful coup at the hand of his flesh of flesh, his beloved son Absalom. David's brokenness is an example of the human predicament. Dysfunction abounds. We have all fallen short of God's intention for each and every one of us, the intention God gives us at baptism. What makes today's lesson sadder is the helplessness of a powerful man in the face of the death of his son. Though his son is a rebel, it is his son nevertheless. And David is full of grief and, dare I say it, regret. Yes, the battle has been won and his throne has been restored. But at what cost? What cost? Jonathan Kirsch gives us some poignant commentary on this point. He writes, Against all his political wiles, his ruthlessness in battle, and his will, or for that matter, even the favor of the God of Israel, David was now helpless in the face of a loss that neither politics nor theology was able to soothe. Instead of a triumphal march for the victory that day, the march turned into mourning for all people. Scripture depicts David as a man after God's own heart, yet he is the consummate moral failure. Scripture does not hide any of this from us. So perhaps the question is, is there any hope? When we cry out of the depths, does the Lord hear our voice? The overwhelming witness of Scripture and the good news is yes. God does hear our cries. God does hear our voice. God's answer to those cries is the redemptive work of the cross, the hope of redemption that paves the way for us to deal with the regrets that we have in life. Partaking of the bread of life, as we, we see in the gospel today, is our witness, for it is the effectual sign of God's grace and God's goodwill towards us, by which God works invisibly in us and on us, and God strengthens and confirms our faith in this journey. Jesus offers us, amidst all our regrets, that he is the bread of life. Anyone who eats of the bread of life will live forever. In saying, I am the bread of life, Jesus gives of his own body that will be broken, as we see in the great thanksgiving. When we take the bread of life, we are experiencing the deep pain, the pathos of the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We partake of the body broken for each and every one of us to be reformed, getting rid of the old yeast of regret and filling ourselves with the bread of sincerity and truth.
This bread gives us, in the words of Paul Zoll, a new confidence that we are beloved, that our belovedness comes from receiving pardon, and that pardon breaks our old heart and gives us a new heart, allows a new heart to grow within us, a heart that wishes to do good, a heart that is no longer under compulsion, under protest, but a heart that emerges, that acts freely, a heart of true love. Today, beloved, I offer an invitation. It's simply this. Take a moment to examine some of the regrets that you have in your life when it comes to the brokenness of relationships. I know I have them. For David, it was his son Absalom. For Troy, it was his daughter Rachel. What about for you? What are some of the regrets in relationships that you have in life? As both David and Troy teach us, life is short, and guess what? There are no guarantees. Both of them lived the rest of their fleeting days in alienation. And if you're going to learn anything from Scripture, it's that. We are not called to live our life in alienation, but in relationship. As you ponder your regrets, offer them to God in the hope of restoration. Beloved, I invite you to cast your glaze not on a specific church, not on a specific minister, not on any sort of institution, but cast your glaze on Jesus, who reforms this institution. Because we have no hope or greater model in this life other than him. To that end, I leave you with a petition by John Mason Neal, the great saint and priest whose life we celebrated this past week. He prays, O Lord, guide us till our path is done and we have reached the shore where thou, our everlasting sun, art shining evermore. As we pray that, may we lead a life relying on the power of Jesus who reforms us and resurrects us through the power of reconciliation. Amen.